White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter, Ecknerwall23, and Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill. We are in his palatial basement. You <laughs> far see, if far you're, from it. Yeah, if you're uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel, what, first, pause right now. Go and subscribe to our YouTube channel right now. You can win prize packs like this mug back here, this Locked On Socks mug back there. Mike Victor already knows how to do it. So go there right now. Subscribe. Hit the notifications bell. Maybe you can be a winner of our prize pack. But with no further ado, here is the star of the show. It is Chris Tannehill. <laughs> Far from it, Herbie. Uh, just because we're in my home doesn't mean you have to suck up like that. But uh, today we're going to break form a little bit, and we have a special guest joining us on the show, uh, a gentleman that we've known for a long time, and he's uh, a 47-year-plus veteran of the Chicago media landscape. You've uh, heard him on NPR, WGN, WBBM, and, of course, our home, 670 The Score. He's the host of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. It's our old friend George Hoffman. George, how are you doing today? Hello again, everybody. I'm just <laughs> great. How are you guys? Doing great, Georgie. How are you feeling today on this snowy day? Like, do you yeah, have to go out and do I, things? I know we're, I just talked to you. We're neighbors, which is weird. I just moved to the neighborhood that you live in. That's awesome. Yes. And I've been, I've been, I've been uh, doing so much shoveling that my back hurts. And I see that there's going to be a little more shoveling tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a little tedious. You know, you're stuck at home, but so be it. But here I am, and I see a lot of White Sox paraphernalia. It's fabulous. Oh, you know, it's a tw- you know the pandemic. Uh, you know, has taught us all how to uh, get our Zoom backgrrounds in order. So uh, yes. bo- boredom with a with a six year old in the house. You know, that's 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 what we do around here. So uh, George has uh, started a new podcast venture. Um, it's called, like I said, tell me a story I don't know. So George, how are you enjoying uh, the the podcast universe so far? It's interesting to say the least. It's, it's competitive, though I don't know who I'm competing against. I'm simply just putting out uh, all these interviews with uh, wonderful people and recently put out one with the new radio voice of the White Sox, Len Casper, uh, who was a fabulous interview. And a lot of people you know, keep asking the same question. Why did you really leave? And the answer is the one that he gave to everybody because he wanted to do radio. And that's really honestly Len Casper. So while White Sox fans may not have listened a lot to Len Casper, you will now and you will enjoy him. He's a wonderful, a wonderful play-by-play guy. And I have a feeling he's going to blossom even further uh, doing, doing, the, uh, doing the radio. Uh, tell me a story I don't know is about top sports personalities with connections to Chicago. So they can be Chicagoans. They can be people who lived here, left, and made it big, or people who have been part of the Chicago scene via their broadcast, like uh, Bob Costas, who I interviewed back in uh, November, 
And we aired that uh, a week ago. Of course, it's obviously still out there uh, on Apple and Spotify and you name it and get it on any, any of the platforms. And, you know, his connection to Chicago, it's myriad connections. His first Super Bowl was Super Bowl 20 with the Bears. He also did Bulls games in 1979-80. Did 19 games. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's amazing. Wearing that, <laughs> wearing that ugly gold jacket. Uh, and then, of course, the Sandberg game. And then the last dance. So he's been an integral part of history. Same with Marv Albert, who we interviewed. So we have a, a whole great list of people. Eddie Olchek is fabulous. That guy, uh, it's really hard to top him in telling stories. However, for our next season coming up starting in May, I talked to Wani. You guys know oh. Wani very well. He is a spectacular storyteller. There may not be anybody better storyteller. I know this because when I covered him in Platteville for the score, he would pull us aside and start telling stories about Tony Wise and Jimmy Johnson. And they were hilarious. And that's the part of, of, of uh, Dave Wants that you never saw. We have Chuck Swirsky coming up in a couple of weeks. We have uh, Kenny McReynolds and Pat Hughes and Mark Greco for the first season. And it's great because they tell some wonderful stories and a lot of them you've never heard before. So I encourage people to do what you guys are encouraging. Subscribe, listen, and you'll enjoy. The one guy that you told me is going to be coming on one of these episodes that I'm like really looking forward to is Steve Stone. As you mm -hmm. know, Steve can spin a yarn and he has he knows everybody in the game. And I'm looking forward to that long form when George opens the mic, asks Steve a question. 20 minutes later, George asks the second question. <laughs> that's, well, that's what I'm going to be looking forward to. That's part of it. Um, I said when you, you open the faucet with these guys, it flows. And with Stoney, just like Eddie Olchek, the question can be 20 seconds and the answer could be 10 minutes. And Stoney was great. We're going to air him on, uh, on March 30th. So that's right by uh, opening day. And Stoney has always been great at stories. You guys know. Once he gets going, it's hard to stop him. But he's also incredibly entertaining and very funny. So that's one that I think uh, uh, White Sox fans will really look forward to. Is some some of the stories you may be familiar with, but there's some other stories that you may not be familiar with. Certainly, I wasn't. And so it, it would, it, that's the best part for me when I do these. These are stories I haven't heard. And it's like I just talked to Rick Tellender. And I forgot that Rick Tellender loves hot dogs. I mean, when I say loves hot dogs, one day he tried to prove the point at what was U.S. Cellular Field, where the White Sox play now. Um, and uh, after the third inning, they feed the media hot dogs. Well, Rick had not one, not two, not four, and not eight. He had a dozen hot dogs. He ate a dozen <laughs> hot dogs. I said, Rick, you know, you're not a spring chicken. I wondered if they examined your stomach afterwards. Yeah. It's a lot of sodium. Yeah, so much sodium. That's yeah, that's a lot of sodium. It's a good point. That's when you get older when like I'm forty two, so yeah, I'm like sodium, man. That's I would love to eat twelve hot dogs because it sounds delicious, but I'm like, ah, that sodium would kill me though. Hey, I worked in a hot dog stand when I was a kid, so I, I, I get the picture at this stage, you know, hot dogs are a few and far between. And I saw that your podcast, I mean, who gets a sponsorship by Vienna Beef? That's amazing. 
Isn't that something? Because there are a couple of people, a, a Tellender said, let's tell, tell them I will do their commercials for nothing. Bob <laughs> Costas is a closet fan, big fan of Vienna beef. He told me that. He said, every time I come to town, I love to have a Chicago hot dog. So they're wonderful, uh, great sponsors. And uh, yeah, I was weaned on their food early in life. And then I was selling their hot dogs at Wolfie's Red Hots and Flukie's Red Hots. Oh, Flukie's. George, you're taking me back. I grew up in Rogers Park, like not far from Flukie's. Oh, I miss I it. I worked at Flukie's in 1966. Hmm. I mean, I was like 13 or 14 years old and I'm working there, you know, for a summer. So, you know, I was introduced to the hot dog many, many, many years ago. So what's on George Offman's hot dog? Are you are you a, a no uh, catch up under any circumstances type Definitely of guy? Definitely not. Okay. I've pretty much been a guy now who probably has grilled onions and a pickle. And that's about it. Okay. I don't like I don't like everything on it. But but I will tell you that early on I would use I, I would eat hot peppers. I don't know why I did that. I wasn't a guy who liked spices, but for some reason I liked the taste of them. This is when, you know, you're you're working at a hot dog stand. On break, what do you eat? <laughs> exactly. Eat a hot dog or a hamburger, you know what I mean? I, when I was an usher at Wrigley Field uh, back in the oh, day, gosh. they would uh, you know, at the end of the night the surplus of excess hot dogs they would give to the people who work there and other passersby. I remember going home with a whole bag full of hot dogs from Field. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you mentioned stories, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get a few out of you tonight here, George. Um, you know, you've been in you know countless baseball clubhouses over the years, but uh, let's take our listeners back here to the night of October 26, 2005. Here's George Hoffman on the score. Well, it's about time. 88 years is a long wait, but it finally ended in Houston, where AJ Pruszynski and the White Sox celebrated. A World Series title. We won the first game of the year one to nothing. We won the first game of the second half one to nothing, and we won the last game of the year one to nothing. It was fitting. Sure was. Series MVP Jermaine Dye drove in the only run with an eighth inning single. So Jerry Reinsdorf Sox won 11 of 12 playoff games, including four straight from the Astros. This will go down in history as a four-game sweep, but it certainly was not a blowout. Who cares? The White Sox are world champions, and that's all that matters to their long-suffering fans. With the champion White Sox in Houston, I'm George Hoffman on WSC are the score what are some of the memories wow. george yeah how about that huh what, what? Set, send me that piece of tape will you please absolutely wow. you got it what what are some of the things that go you know you know, flooding through your mind when, when you hear that and when you think about that night there in houston well what i remember was game three it was extra innings so they we left the press box we left where we were sitting in right field we came to the press box and then eventually we'd go down. Well, obviously we're standing there now for several innings and Jeff Blum comes to the plate and I look at Cheryl Ray and I look at her, Cheryl Ray Stout. And I say, this guy has zero chance of hitting a home run. <laughs> I remember telling her that she knows that. And he hit the next pitch for a home run, which was the game winning homer. That's what I remember about that. Um, and just the, the joy for, not just the White Sox, but for the city. Remember the parade? People were stunned at how many people were on at, at that parade. Stunned. It's like, guess what? There are a lot of closet White Sox fans, but there are a lot of fans in Chicago who appreciated a champion since there hadn't been one since, I believe, the 85 Bears. So that was just uh, great. And I started the trip. I remember I started that trip in Kansas. We went to Kansas City. Detroit, Cleveland. Cleveland was unbelievable. Remember, the White Sox 
lead, which was 15 plus games, had whittled down. All the Indians had to do was win one of the three games and they would make it as a wild card and they were a dangerous team. And Ozzie Gein's team shut them out three games in a row, sunny, beautiful, full houses, uh, then the Jacobs Field, out the Indians went. And then it was a trip to Boston and my first ever trip to Fenway Park and then to Anaheim and then to Houston. So it was a it was a it was a nice long trip, but it was a whole lot of fun. We here at Locked On Sox, of course, like that 2005 team, of course. But there's only one player that stands out above every other player, and that's Juan Uribe. Do you have any Juan Uribe stories for us, George? <laughs> I don't have many Juan Uribe stories. I know some other some of the beat writers certainly do. He was a very interesting character, to say at least, and a very popular guy on that team which had a lot of popular players. Um, who in the world would have thought Scott Podsednik would have won a game in horrible weather with a home run in extra innings? But the one thing I do remember from one of the games is when Paul Konerko hit the grand slam. So we're out in – were we in left field? I, I forgot where we were because the, I, I remember – it must have been where they put us at that stage – ball left the bat it was out of here in like two seconds the explosion of noise was unbelievable it was ear splitting and great i love a crowd and i just remember that that people went nuts and the weather was just brutal abysmal terrible but the white Sox won you know and and it's just uh and Paul Konerko, and it was a cast. It was a very interesting cast of players. They were an outstanding team and very well managed. And now, look at them now. Now they've got a very good team again. It's taken a while, but they certainly have the pieces, as Dave Wanstead told me, the pieces in place to do it. That's right. And you mentioned uh, their, their manager that led them, uh, Ozzy Guillen, and you know, we'll talk about this current iteration of the team and, and Tony LaRusso, who I'm sure you covered back in the day in his first stint as White Sox manager. So yeah. we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, what what was it like covering Ozzie Guillen, you know, as as much as you did in, in the Ozzie Guillen era? Like, you have any fun stories about Ozzie or just what, what was it like just, you know, interacting with him on a daily basis? He was nuts. And I loved him. <laughs> yeah. um, first and foremost, he was a really good manager. I think he understood how to play a bullpen, particularly the year that he had three closers. Remember? I mean, he had to, he had to play that with Dustin Hermanson, uh, Shingo, Shingo, yeah. and then uh, Bobby Jenks. You know, and I like when he, you know, he, he, when he wanted Bobby Jenks, he would just put his hands out. That's <laughs> a Jenks girth. He's the only um, one in the bullpen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ozzy certainly had a way with words, and most of them were four-letter words. Um, but um, I, 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 here's this thing. So, so this is this is this is a little side story. It's it's 2009, and I think you guys know about Webio, and Webio goes under, and I'm taking months and months before I even decide that I'm going to venture back to the ballpark. Well, they hadn't seen me in a while. Ozzy sees me from a distance, and gives me the finger. <laughs> and I said, I'm back. I felt so comfortable when he did that. I said, <laughs> that's what he did. I loved every minute of it. He was a very colorful character. Um, if not for unbelievable years by the Tigers and Twins that year, the Sox won 90 games. Remember the next year, they drew nearly 3 
million people. I once said the White Sox would never draw more than 2 million, and they nearly drew 3 million people when the ballpark had 46,000 seats. Um, and then they went on hard times. But, you know, I, I, I like the cut of his jib. I definitely liked Ozzy, and I think Ozzy was a pretty darn good manager. Who were uh, some of your favorite players to, to either cover or just watch, you know, all the baseball you've seen over the years? Who are some of the guys that stand out to you? Over the years, uh, in particular, favorites, Pete Rose, Dave Winfield, Tony Gwynn, fabulous interviews. Okay. Uh, they loved to talk. They loved to talk. Uh, Tony Gwynn, you couldn't stop him from talking. But, <laughs> you know, great guy, batting champ. Uh, Dave Winfield was another one who – you know, he, you think he's this big, imposing guy, but really he was a pussycat and he loved to talk. Um, and Pete Rose was, you know, a statistical maniac. You talked about anything. He could just peel off any statistic you wanted. This is long before, you know, you think about statistics today. This guy had it all in his head and he was a wonderful, wonderful interview. So I really, really enjoyed talking to those guys. Paul Canerco is a little long-winded, but... You know, he was a he was a pleasure. You know, Mark Burley, kind of pretty funny guy. So those guys, I I, I remember, in, particularly in baseball, were really wonderful. And Reggie Jackson, who was always a challenge. Sometimes Reggie didn't want to talk, but there, we could I could goad him into talking. And when he did, he was pretty good. You know, so that was that was the one thing I really appreciated about him is that if you can get him at the right time, he could be a really great interview. Locked on White Sox, Herb Lawrence, Chris Tannehill, George Offman is with us. And on the other side of this quick timeout, we're going to ask George about the early days of 670 The Score. We're back right after this on Locked on White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. And somehow, Built Bar is even deliciouser with their brand new flavors. Hey, they got flavors coming at you Pretty much every week, you can get in on the ground floor of a new flavor at Built Bar. They sent me the Coconut Brownie Crunch. Oh, that was good stuff right there, but it's only for a limited time. you got to head over to the website and see what they got cooking. They're always experimenting with new fun flavors. Some of the new ones that have stuck for them, Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Barcia. Let me tell you, folks, I ordered the Cherry Barcia in my 18-pack. I ordered six of the Carrot Cake with Almonds. I ordered Coconut, which is my favorite, and I ordered Cherry Barcia to check it out. Uh, the goods. I love the Cherry Barcia. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have it right here in front of me. I just had one before the show today, and the Cherry Barcia, some of its stats, check this out. 130 calories with a whopping 17 grams of protein. Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're not grainy like some of these other protein bars are. You're not chewing on them for hours once they're in your mouth. And this Cherry Barcia, by the way, only 4 grams of sugar. I mentioned that I've sort of kicked my sugar habit by replacing my unhealthy snacks with Built Bars at the end of the day or at my 3 o'clock snack time. And it's really worked out well for me. Um, I'm feeling much better, sleeping better, no cravings for sweets in the middle of the night because one Built Bar after dinner before bed and I'm good through the night. So do what I did. That's right. I'm about to order another case of build bars here because when i run out it's bad business around here in the Tannehill household okay like i i start to look around and see what what other snacks i can uh, i can get my hands on but none of them are quite as good and none of them will give you sustenance quite like built bar does because they're always packed with protein so do what i did go to builtbar.com right now use our promo code lockdown and that's going to get you 20 percent 
off of your next order. That's 20% off for your next order at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever, and I'm thinking about having another one right now. Locked on White Sox is also brought to you by our friends at RockAuto.com. You know, friends, there's so many different makes and models of automobiles these days. It's become nearly impossible to stock all the parts that your car's ever going to need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure that process of the intimidating questioning, like, is your car an LX or an EX, while you wait for the person at the counter to search their computer for their inventory that they only carry there at that moment? Why do that when you have access to a vast catalog of auto parts right there in your pocket on your phone? And it's rockauto.com, of course. You know, there's a lot of reasons to maintain your automobile. But with spring coming, winter hopefully is on its way out. You're going to want to make sure your car's ready if you want to take some road trips. You know, get back out there once the world opens up again. Make sure everything your car is running tip top. So to do that, you get all the parts your car is going to need at rockauto.com. Their catalog is vast and they've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet for your ride. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few clicks delivered right to your door. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com now and find auto parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And when you do so, don't forget our promo code LOCKEDON in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. That's promo code LOCKEDON at RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need only at RockAuto.com. And now, back to our interview with George Offman. The starting lineup for your world champion of sports coverage, the score, Sports Radio 820. Good morning, everybody, and good sports to you, and welcome to an historic day in Chicago broadcasting history. The score is the dream of Dan Lee and Seth Mason of Diamond Communications here in Chicago, and all of us on the Sports Radio 820 team share that dream as well. People like yours truly, Ron Gleason, Dan Jiggetts, Dan McNeil, Mike North, Terry Bores and Brian Hanley, George Offman, Mike Murphy, and many, many more. 90s Bulls fans will remember the voice of Ray Clay. Mm, and of back course, now. Yeah, and Tom Scherer there uh, signing on for 670 to score back in 1992. Ooh. Take us back to everything leading up to when you found out about this new upstart radio station and, and how you got hired in the early days of the score. What do you remember about those days? Well, I mean, the score, the publicity of it, I think, was sometime late summer, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was a very odd time for me because as the months rolled around, I never heard from anybody at the score, even though Ron Gleason, whom, of course, I had known from sports phone days in 1977, was in charge. In the meantime, I'm auditioning to become a talk show host in Toronto with Bob McCollin, who uh, had a show that lasted 40 years called Primetime Sports. It's a good friend. They brought me up in uh, November during Grey Cup week, like I knew what Grey Cup was. I thought that was something you'd wear. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and they offered me the job. I mean, they offered me the job and my fiance, who's my wife now, Betsy, we went and looked at, at that property in Toronto. And then I just decided that I was going to take the gamble and say, you know, I really would love to come here, but it is another city. It's another country. And I'm going to take my chances 
I was working for MAQ All News, which was, of course, 670 then, and I hope that I get hired. Well, uh, I was contacted and I was hired on my birthday, December 28th, and I believe Mike Greenberg was hired the same day. <laughs> and so the two of us were hired then. And then bingo, here we are, January 2nd. I was a reporter. We did not do anchoring <clears throat> until April. I believe we, we spent the first four months without it. And then we did Wednesday through Sunday, and we didn't anchor Monday and Tuesday. Do not ask me why. I have no idea. But it was a very unique group of people. I mean, I knew Tom Scher. I did not know Jim Memolo. Um, obviously, I knew Dan Jiggets. I knew Dan McNeil and Terry Bores. I'd never heard of Mike North, but it didn't take long for me to hear of Mike North. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and then, there was, then there was the notorious Mike Murphy. And um, it was, you know, it, it, everybody had to feel everybody out. And then there was Jesse. You know, Jesse was like an intern and then a producer and Judd Surratt. And it was quite an eclectic group and it grew. Um, at times it was gruesome, but it did grow. And look at where some of these people are even today. Some of them are extremely successful and that's wonderful. So 29 years later, it's still a, it's a great memory. We are in a tiny, tiny little building mm -hmm. on Belmont, sharing it with the folks from XRT. And they were really good, good people. I really enjoyed them. And I still know some of them to this day. Uh, and it was kind of cramped quarters. And, you know, we were on in the wintertime, we were on at 730 and off at 430. And of course, in the summertime, it was like, what, 630 to 830 until we finally went to 1160, which you basically you couldn't hear it on Lakeshore Drive. It was really funny. You know, it, it, it had a better signal, but at night you couldn't hear it. And finally, 670 and, and it's grown and it's still a wonderful radio station. I didn't get there until 2000, like September of 2000. So I was at that Bel uh, that Belmont bunker. And I always marvel at like when we when I got there in 2000, it was a well-oiled machine, like things worked and there was a system. I wonder about those early days with guys who, you know, mostly worked in TV and like you and, and uh, Gleason worked at Sports Phone. There wasn't a lot of sports talk radio history because this is the first sports talk radio show in Chicago. How did you guys do this? Were you taking cues from New York, even though it was a local station because that was like the first sports talker in Chicago in the United States? Or were you guys just flying by the seat of your pants doing whatever you need to do? I think that was part of it. Um, you know, I mean, there was ancillary sports talk radio. Uh, I mean, Chuck Swirsky, uh, he did a show in 1980 on WCFL, which is 1000, um, you know, with nobody listening. <laughs> Guy came from Cleveland, Ohio and bingo, it's right where it's Columbus and no one was listening. And here we are 12, 12 years later, ratings were really low. Um, there was this nervousness would it last and in the meantime there was this concerted effort by the late dan lee um and seth mason to to keep it going and and you know mike north was a driving force behind that so was terry and dan i mean dan mcneil had his experience with chet Kopic. you know chet had radio you know, Chet was doing comic on sports. So he had, a, he did have a sports talk radio show at night, um, but it was only a nighttime show. So we did have personalities. And um, we also brought in a guy named Doug Collins and Mike Ditka. Hmm. 
and they were the you know analysts and believe me that radio station thrived particularly because of Mike Ditka he was a he certainly helped the ratings of that radio station grow well, yeah, when you have a head coach of the Chicago Bears threatening to to whip a fan's ass on the radio, <laughs> Washington, yeah, I, you know, like, and then it winds yeah. up on Sports Center. Like, that's a good publicity for your radio I station. I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. Money well spent. Um, just bringing it back around to uh, the the White Sox here. Um, you've seen a lot of baseball over the years. You, looking at this current White Sox team, George, how do you think they stack up in terms of the AL Central, the American League? How do you think the Sox are going to fare this year? I think clearly it's a two-team race in the American League Central between them and the Minnesota Twins who certainly have gotten themselves better as well. Defensively, they're still a very, very good team. But I love what Rick Hahn has done. You know, over the course of this building, um, he has continued to add pieces because he had the money available to do it. He very smartly, and I give the White Sox great credit. I mean, you look um, at what Tatis just got. And then you look at the long-term contracts they gave to Tim Anderson and Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. I mean, these guys are under contract for another four or five more years for a reasonable price that allowed them to go out and get Liam Hendricks, allowed them to get Lance Lynn. It's giving them the flexibility to go out and get the specific pieces they need. Uh, and then there's Tony Larusa. Uh, yeah, I first, you know, when Tony came to town and replaced Don Kessinger as manager of the White Sox, I was there in 1979. Uh, nobody knew who he was. Two years later, a fellow named Jerry Reinsdorf took the keys from Bill Veck at the old Comiskey Park and became the managing partner of the, of the ball club. So, um, you know, since as far as Larusa goes and his age and everything else. I'm not so concerned about his mental capacity, not concerned about the fact that he hasn't managed in 10 years because he's been part of the game. I'm just wondering whether or not he will be able to, A, relate to the players, and B, take the physical grind of the travel and the COVID restrictions over 162-game schedule. But he can still think, and I think he can still manage. He's got a very good club. Uh, I like the White Sox pitching rotation, but I still have my doubts about four and five and whether Dylan Cease um, and Ronaldo Lopez can grow into the pitchers the Sox want them to be. I think Cease has a higher ceiling than Lopez does. I think they still probably could use a veteran in one of those spots. I fear that veteran could be Carlos Rodon. I hope not. I don't know if mm-hmm. Carlos Rodon will stay in one piece. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I like him in the bullpen as well. But boy, this club can hit. They went out and they've got a very solid bullpen. I think it's a 90-plus win team and definitely a playoff team. And as Rick Kahn said, it would be a disappointment if they don't make the World Series, let alone win it. What was it like covering Tony La Russa during the first time around here in Chicago? Is there anything stand out to you about him, be it with the media, with his players? Did you yeah. envision him having a Hall of Fame career after that? Well, no, you didn't know. But number one, he hates losing. And you know that in a post-game interview. When they lost, he was very short in his answers, terse, didn't like talking, much more open when the White Sox won. Uh, When they won, I'm sure White Sox fans who were around can remember in 1983, that team was 16 and 24. That team was 49 and 49. They won 99 games because they never lost after that. 
They barely lost. I mean, Floyd Bannister and Richard Dotson and Lamar Hoyt just didn't lose. They were really good, but then, you know, came the series with Baltimore, and I can still see Landrum's homer, Britt Burns, and the extra innings, and there you go. The problem with Tony LaRusso was Hawk Harrelson. When Hawk came in and became the general manager, Hawk did not like him, did not like the way he managed. Hawk was really not a general manager. It was a huge mistake by Jerry Reinsdorf to put him in that position. But Jerry gave his management team the ability to hire and fire, and he fired LaRusso in 86. And as you could tell, uh, Reinsdorf laments that, turned around, and went and hired him again. He did it. Not Rick Hahn, not Kenny Williams. Jerry Reinsdorf did at age 76. So we'll see. The only thing I'd say about this season is the White Sox need to get off to a really good start. They cannot start off uh, 500 in the month of April. They have to be an above 500 team. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of heat on Larusa, and there's going to be a lot of heat on Reinsdorf and Hahn. George, it was such a pleasure catching up with you and your storied career. Uh, your podcast is going off. I mean, people are listening to that and driving uh, to that podcast. Tell the folks what your podcast is and where they can find it. It's called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. It is with sports personalities who have connections to Chicago. You will recognize every name from Eddie Olchek to Steve Stone to Len Casper to Bob Costas to Marv Albert, to uh, Mike Greenberg, who, of course, you know, began his career, you know, at MAQ All News and was with the with the score and, and uh, covered Michael Jordan when he was with the White Sox. Remember that? 1994. Mm-hmm. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, wherever. Do what Herb said about this podcast. Subscribe. Put it in capital letters. Subscribe, <laughs> and I guarantee you will enjoy it. George, it was great seeing you. We miss you, man. We, we love you. And thanks for uh, taking some time out to be with us tonight. Well, thank you. And thank you for playing that uh, piece of tape and sending me down memory lane for 2005. <laughs> that was fabulous. I loved it. Absolutely. Take care, George. Well, there you have it. That's our conversation with the one and only George Offman, a score guy since day one and now doing his own thing on the Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. We really hope you guys check it out. We know you'll enjoy the stories from guys like Bob Costas, Marv Albert, Mike Greenberg, and of course, Len Casper and coming soon, Steve Stone. We thank George for his time. Stay with us this week on Locked On White Sox as spring training is is really getting going here. The position players reported on Monday, and there's a lot of fun stuff coming out of camp there. The whole Tim Anderson and Tony LaRusso storyline dynamic, we can kind of put that to bed or not. We'll see. We'll talk about that later on this week. Also, we're going to have a crossover episode with our guys from the Sons of Hanarchy podcast, and that was a really fun conversation. That'll come to you later this week, and I'm hoping we can catch up with the future Sox guys about their top 30 projects prospect list so stay with us right here all week all spring all baseball season here on locked on white Sox. remember you can hit us up on the mailbag locked on socks at gmail.com that's locked on socks at gmail.com so for my partner herb lawrence i'm chris Tannehill. thank you for listening to locked on white Sox.